Lord, we receive from you understanding today. If you believe that, say amen. amen. We receive from you insight in the name of Jesus. Amen. We receive for you the knowledge of what to do. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. All right, let's take our declaration of understanding before we begin to study. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. Understanding is your portion again in Jesus' name. Amen. God will give you insight, give you direction, tell you what you need to know in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today, something tangible will enter into your heart, amen. and it will affect the things around you. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. Now, what I want to try and do is to finish what we have been discussing about agents of faith and light. If the Lord will allow that, otherwise we'll continue again. But let's just try and finish it today if it will work. Um, and to do that, I want us to read from the book of Luke chapter 8. The book of Luke chapter 8. I just want to read a few verses from verse 22. On one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now they came to Jesus and woke him up. He was sleeping. Like we read in verse 23. They woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves. And they stopped. And he became calm. Verse 25, and he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now, this is just what I want us to read here. We have been talking about the fact that we are agents of faith and um, light. And what I mean by light there is that Jesus said that you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And when we talk about being light of the world, it means that if God wants to pour illumination into the environment, he does this through us. We are the ones that pour the illumination of God into the environment. Light refers to, um, let me use the expression now, understanding. What, I mean, what do I mean by understanding? How do we run our lives? How do we run our businesses? How do we run the things that have to do with us? How do we raise our children? How do we treat our wives? How do we treat our husbands? How do we relate with our parents? How do we run our lives in every aspect? That is what life is. Light is how, um, the ex- example I want to give is Mary Kay Ash said she started her business, Mary Kay Cosmetics, not because she wanted to sell cosmetics, but because she wanted to teach the world how to do business. 
And cosmetics was an afterthought. It was not the first thing. It was like, I've done work all these years in marketing. She worked for Stanley Home Products. And she did not like the way they did their marketing structure, how they handled their marketing executives and their marketing staff. She said there is a better way to do it. So she wrote a book on it. And then it struck her that nobody will read her book because she's just, in quotes, talking theory. That's how it would seem, that she's just talking theory. So she said, let me practice what I have in the book so that when it will have worked, people will know what I'm saying is correct. So she said, all right, what can we market? Then she remembered some things that one of her friend's fathers, uh, one, of, one of her friends, the father had. So she went and got the products, compounded it into cosmetics, and then began to sell that. She was not trying to push cosmetics. She was trying to push a business idea. Now, that business idea is what I'm calling light, how to do things. And then she started remedicating cosmetics, and they became very successful. And for her, that was a way by which God validated the things that she was saying, that this is a better way to do business. That is what light is. You are getting my point here. Light is how to, is a better way to do things, the improvement that we bring into the conduct of affairs and this light, of this life. That's what we call light. Same thing with Henry Ford. Henry Ford, the same thing. In fact, his own quote was, he said, the success of this Ford Motor Company is not about the machines that bear the name Ford. That is not about the car. Yes, the, the engines were good. The machines were good. He said, but I am not bragging on the fact that the cars are good. What I am satisfied with is that I have proven to people that the way they were doing businesses was wrong. This is the right way to do it. She became very, very successful in his days. I, I don't know whether she, he made it to be the richest man in the world, but he was so successful. Until now, the success is still in the company because the man said there is a better way to do things. For example, he said men can be more productive. You just need to arrange your business better. So he designed his um, uh, um, uh, factory in such a manner that you don't have to leave one spot. Things are brought to you before you have to go and carry this and come and fix it here. And the force says, stay in your spot. I will bring the things to you. So there's something somebody else had invented, the conveyor belt. So he now turned it and put it in his factory, so he now had the assembly line production, so that the business, the uh, work, factory workers did not have to leave his spot, they could stay there, and they became more productive. He literally tripled their output, quadrupled their output, just by changing the way things were done. He said not every man has the, uh, not every man has the intelligence and the mind to be able to put a business together, but he has to work, he has to eat, he has to feed his family. So he said the duty of entrepreneurs is to give opportunities to other, for other people to use a gift that they have in them. So that's his own. So Ellen Ford said, don't think for me. He doesn't want you thinking. He has people that do the thinking for him. But if you are working in his factory, just obey instructions. And if you obey his instructions, he will pay you enough money, you understand, to get a decent house. He will pay you enough money to educate your children. He will pay you enough money to live comfortably. And the man will I mean, so live in health. And part of his own idea is that if you are sick, you can't work. So he makes sure that your house is clean. He actually had men. He had people inspecting the premises, the quarters he built. Because if he's dirty, you are going to fall sick. If you are falling sick, you are not going to work. <laughs> Some people didn't like the idea that he's controlling their lives too much. But if you see, his mind was different. His mind was that, listen, people have to live. And it's my duty to make it easy for them. Some say that it's... it's um, 
He's creating robots. As soon as you were a robot before I came, an ineffective robot. <laughs> now I'm making you an efficient robot. You know, <laughs> that's it. He said you could do your business without borrowing money. And that's exactly what he did. He did his business and did not borrow money. You understand? He had a lot of things. One of the things he did was, he said, if I make a product, if it's false, it's not your fault, it's my fault. I didn't make it well enough. So he gave guarantees. We tell you, look, I'm giving you this amount of years warranty on this product. He, he brought those things into everyday business. So when the thing worked, because he had quarrels with a number of people, that was not the first car company he started. It was probably the third, all right? So he had had issues with people. So when he now, when he, the one he finally did worked, he said, now, what I've been telling them, all right, I have proven that it is correct. He said, that is the success of the Ford Motor Company. It's not about cars. It's about a business idea, the business method. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So that's it. So that's what they call light. Light is when you bring things all right, into life for other people to uh, live by. You live your life as an example for other people. One of our sisters said to us that time, she said her father had made such a mess of marriage, she made up her mind she would never marry. Then she lived with my wife and I for a few months and changed her mind and married the following year. <laughs> and she told my wife that you guys changed my mind concerning the institution of marriage. Because the way my father treated my mother, there's no way I'll walk into that. There's no way. So she said, if to be single, I will enjoy it. Then she lived with us for some time. I said, okay, so maybe things are not really bad. Maybe things can actually be good. And she observed my wife and I for a number of months and changed her mind. That's what they call light. When you say you are the light of the world. You know, like we're saying today in Oka, that listen, using David Paulson's percentages, if 5% of those that work in civil service will live a, a dedicated, listen, a dedicated Christian life. I don't mean they gave their life to Christ. You know, the way we Christians do it these days. You answer an altar call. People say, once you are saved, you are always saved. You can be once saved and forever useless. Are you getting my point? So that's the one. Look, that's what I'm emphasizing on. It's not whether you are always saved or not always saved. It is that, why do you want to be saved and useless? I don't know whether you're getting my point. So that you are saved, but God cannot use you on the earth. You are saved. You are not a light to the environment. You are saved. God cannot through you change things. Because the person in, in his percentage, he said only 5% of those who are, now I'm adapting what he said now to this environment. If only 5% of civil servants are committed believers, the person said they will wipe out corruption. I'm the one that said they will wipe out corruption, but he was talking about the effect of their lights. That they will have said it. That if corruption will end in Nigeria, it's not because Buhari is tough. Buhari is not tough enough. He can, you can recruit 1,000 of him, get 37 Buharis. Is it 37 or 38? 38. One for the, for the presidency, one for 36 states, and one for Abuja. If I get a 38 one for CBN, they, are the ones, they, also, they also use the name governor. Corruption will still not go away. He's not that powerful. The only people that have the light, the ability to stop corruption in the country is the church. Why? Because they are the light. They are the light of the world. Are you getting my point? I'm emphasizing the meaning of the word light again. So please get it. Don't, you know, there's no point arguing on the doctrine of whether if I'm once saved, I will always be saved. 
I told them I'm going to write something about that. And after studying over the last few days, I realized that I'm not going to even go the way of the normal arguments. Is that because I've seen there are so many arguments, so people have made up their mind what they want to believe. So there's no point in me writing my own arguments. There are so, like, you know, Bishop, you know, I told you, I don't know whether you have studied that thing. I stumbled on that website, and everything I wanted to say as an argument of why some of those doctrines cannot be correct, so I found that people have written them using almost my exact words, using the same references I wanted to use. So I said, look, people just believe what they want to believe. There was one man you guys were asking me, that man you were asking me about, his name starts with Charles, you know, in, in Oka. What I told you, one of the things I found out about him while studying that thing, that he actually said that we are not saved by continuing faith. We are saved that by one day we give our lives to Christ one day in the past. So that's how we are saved. And we are saved like that permanently. And he said, for all intents and purposes, if a Christian lives like an unbeliever, he's still saved. For me, he just likes the doctrine. I know the man is an intelligent man. Everything he has said does not make sense to anybody, including him. He just likes the doctrine, so he wants to hold on to it. Because it is clear from what Paul wrote, what James wrote, what uh, 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 Peter wrote, and from the words of the Lord Jesus, that cannot possibly be true. People say that um, I did not do anything. I was not saved by my works. Therefore, I cannot be condemned by my works. That argument is senseless. What did I call it? It's unreasonable. It's, un- it's, not un- it's unreasonable. Let me ask you a question. Were you born by your works? Did you know when you were conceived? Did you know when you were born? You just opened your eyes and found that you were in Nigeria. And you didn't even know it was called Nigeria. But let me ask you a question. Can you end your life? You can't? This guy don't know how to commit suicide. <laughs> you can if you wish to. There are 500 ways plus one by which you can do it. Are you getting my point? I'm not saying you want to end your life. Now, so you like this country. <laughs> you don't want that. I like Nigeria too, but that's not, what I, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that even though you had nothing to do with bringing yourself into life, you can end your life if you wish to. People do it every day. Where there are guns, they use guns a lot. Where there are no guns, they use ropes. That's a matter of fact. So that argument that I did not work for my salvation, therefore I cannot end it by my works, is lame. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit any other thing. Like the example I gave earlier. Was it here I gave the example? Was it in Oka? I don't even know. That if if Dangote gave you $1 billion, did you get that money by your works? Have you become rich by your works? No, answer me like you are here. Can you become poor by your works? So why can someone tell me that uh, I was not saved by my works, therefore I cannot be condemned by my works? It doesn't make any sense. Every other thing in life shows that it doesn't make sense. I was not born by my effort, but I can end my life if I wish to. And there's an easy way. Jump from this, you know, we're on top floor here. Walk out from that balcony, you hit the floor. Trust me, you're dead. Even if you don't realize, I will announce your dead body, the boy, you are dead. Are you getting my point? You were not born by your works, but you just ended your life by your works. But what I'm trying to emphasize is this. People of God. Okay, you know what I was saying? So I, I decided that there's no point writing those arguments again. I wanted to write it until I found out that people have written it again and again and again. People just don't want to believe. Maybe I will just put some things together because of those who listen to me. 
All right, because I have a responsibility, like Paul said, to save not only myself, but those who listen to me. So because for the, of them, I'll probably still put a few things together. But the point I want to bring up, the angle I would like to come from is to now look at the implications of these things. I'm not going to sit down defending the, the fact that um, even though I deny Jesus now, he can never let me go. My own is, that, why do I want to do that? And that's my emphasis. The argument for us believers is not whether we are saved and always saved. Is once saved, ever useless. Is that good? Once saved, yet God cannot use me to do what he wants to do in life. Once saved, I cannot change the way people relate with their families. I'm born into a corrupt culture. I die, the culture is still corrupt. Are you getting my point? Once saved, but I don't mind living the earth the way I met it. No, that is not the gospel of Jesus. That's not what he called us to do. When they say we are the light of the world, what it means is simple. One, somebody, they will, tell, they will tell you that, look, there's nobody that can enter that office and not steal. You will go in there. Go in, reach, come out, pour. God could have made you rich, still, but he said, no, I need to make a point. That's what it means to be the light. That's what it means to be the light. Light means that I can show people how to do things differently. Light means that they don't have to do it the way people were doing it before them. Many of the things people call African culture is nonsense culture. They say, let's protect our culture. Apart from your clothes, decent ones, oh. are you getting my point? Because those bororos, they have culture too. Women tire up, that's all. You've seen them on the road. <laughs> they don't wear any other thing. Is that not their culture? Yeah. Do we protect that culture? Do we have cultures where they used to kill twins? Do we protect that culture? No. Some of these people talk about, forget that thing. A lot of our culture don't make any sense. And like it's been said, culture is a cloak of religion. That if you see culture, if you see culture, the essence of that culture is their religion. That is, anytime you put in Bible certain religion, it affects how they behave. The way people relate with their, you know, we're talking about men and their wives, you know, because of the thing that happened when we knock at that time, you understand? We say, look, this is just a bad culture in which the men are brought up in our culture as if the women are second-class citizens. So they are like the senior daughter in the house. The man is a man. I don't know whether you are getting my point. She doesn't have rights of her own. It's a culture. Something led to it. But the way we believers, we treat our wives, become a way by which we teach other people the plan of God for marriage. That's why we Christians don't ever open our mouths and say, the way it is done in my place, with finality. No. No. We look, what we look at, what did God say about it? And then we start teaching everybody else how to do it the way God said it. You are getting my point? It doesn't mean people will not laugh at you at a particular point in time, but you know the truth? Behind the back, they will come and learn from you. Oh, they will come and learn from you. That's what it means to be the light. So when we're talking about being agents of faith and light, that's what we mean. We've spent a lot of time talking about what it means to be an agent of faith, in which I explained to us that, look, being an agent of faith simply means that faith is a tangible substance, spiritually speaking now. It's, it's, like, it's like electricity. It's like, uh, which other word do I use now? It's energy. It is required for it to be in an environment before God can do what he wants to do in that environment. 
And faith doesn't come from nowhere. It is generated in the hearts of people. I'm so persuaded. You know, one of our brothers gave me a book. I should have brought the book because I want to show it off. After showing you the book, don't ask me to lend it to you. Go and buy your own. It's a fat book. The Life of Pyelton. A big book. The book is as big as this. No, no, no joking. So I began to read it. And the more I read the book, the more I was convinced. I've not read much of it, just the introductory aspects. I realized that this country is important. Yes. Because the man prophesied it. I've heard it before, but now I saw it in writing. He said it's important to what God is doing on the earth. First of all, to what God is doing in Africa. Do you know? This is interesting. I tell you, some of you guys, that the man actually said to people then that the time will come that the government of Nigeria will be paying young people to go around preaching the gospel. And when God wants to do things, do you understand? The way it will happen, it may be surprising to people the way, you know, the way God will go about it. It's difficult to interpret prophecies ahead. Almost every prophecy is when it has been fulfilled, you will understand it. It will be that it might be fulfilled that which was written. It's after the fulfillment that what was written or what was spoken, all right, becomes clear. The man said that the government will be paying young people to go around, to go around preaching the gospel. You know how it happened? NYSC. As part of the reconciliation attempts of Goan after the war, he said every young, every young school leader, now they not narrow it down because of population to just university graduates, that's tertiary institution graduates. You will go serve the country for one year in the place where they post you. In case you don't know, you've heard of the Koma Hills. The Koma people were discovered by NYC members. It wasn't the routine missionaries. It was the NYC people that found those people out. They were being paid by federal government. Young people go to different parts of the country preaching the gospel. Many of you have been there, rural rugged. You were rural ruggeding on the bill of the federal government. Federal government will send you money every month. Your parents are from Anambra State. There you are in Sokoto State. Going to the rural areas of Sokoto State, of Sokoto, of Kebi, of, of uh, what do you call it? Where is Guzo now? Zamfara State. And federal government is paying you Alawi every month. How, which missionary organization will have mobilized that amount of resources? That amount of resources. Who will have done it? But God had prophesied through that man. In fact, you know, I had, a, I had an invitation outstanding then, which I was supposed to go and preach for coppers. I had not agreed. When I read that portion, I called you and I said, I agree for that invitation. <laughs> I was encouraged. I was supposed to go and preach to coppers somewhere. I was like, oh, this NYC, they should leave me, Joe. So you can say, oh, God, how far? I said, I did come. I read that portion of the book. I sent him a message. Accept that invitation. You know, that prophetic side of it suddenly, you know, it yelled. It made me feel like, wow, let's participate in prophecy. <laughs> you are getting my point here. Now, what I'm going to say here, so, so the man said it. He made it clear that what God wants to do, he said many things. He said a lot of things. I saw the daughter interviewed. She's a Nigerian citizen, white woman, but Nigerian citizen. She's also very elderly now. She wasn't born in Nigeria. She came with the parents as a, as a little child. You understand? And she's still here. She's 80-something, I think. The father lived and died here, served in, the, in this country for 50 years. And he prophesied over this land. 
And I'm saying that the fact that God prophesied over a land does not mean it will come to pass automatically. The man has done his portion, he has gone. The baton has been handed to different generations since, and it's in our hands right now. We make up our minds whether we want to mess up what God has been planning for a long time, or God needs to wait for another generation for it to be fulfilled. And God says, whatever it is I want to fulfill, I want to carry out, there must be faith in the environment. It must be there for me to do that which I proposed. And I was saying, where does the faith come from? The hearts of the believers. We are the faith generators. We, spill the, we, we, we generate the faith, fill our hearts, and spill it into the environment. It goes into the environment as an overflow. It goes there as an overflow of what is going on inside our hearts. The emphasis, again, is that without us releasing enough of it, the plan of God is in suspension. Let's bear it in mind. The plan of God is in suspension. We generate faith in our hearts all the time. We spill it into the environment. It affects everything. It affects the climate. It affects rice production. It affects whether we'll continue to import toothpick or we'll start making our own airplanes. It determines it. It determines it. It determines whether we'll have peace in the environment or have turmoil all the time. It determines whether we are going to drive Boko Haram and the people like them back into the desert that they came out from. That spirit tends to reside in deserts. Can't you see? It's a desert spirit. People fly every year to the desert. Don't you notice? You've not noticed it. Everywhere they establish desertification will occur. We need to push that spirit back into the desert from which it came. Faith determines whether we'll be able to do that or we won't be able to do it. Let me tell you something. I, no, you've heard me say this before. When they talk about brain drain, brain drain, brain drain, brain drain is not as important as spirit drain. The drain of spiritual resources is more important in any nation than the drain of its physical resources. I have no problem. Anybody can live in any country you want. But one of the things that breaks my heart a lot of times is when I see spiritual resources being drained on the altar of material comfort. Spiritual resource is very important. It's very difficult to find. God looks up and now looking for it. Who are those who will generate faith in an environment? And today, what I, what I, where I want to get to, all right, I'm just trying to review and make sure and we, we all know where, where we are. Is that the show of when Jesus said, where is your faith? Who are those who will generate faith in the environment? God is always looking for. He doesn't always find. One of the effects of the faith the people have generated is the change of the culture in that environment. It's a change of the culture. And that's why I say we are agents of faith and light. By the way we behave, we must teach a new culture. We must teach a new culture to people. Ian Carl and I were talking just now because he was one that he rode. We had, we had different cars when we were coming back. So he rode, he was one that drove we were in my car together. We're just talking about all kinds of things. So we're not making fun of, uh, you know what we're joking about at that time? About the nonsense, some of the nonsense cultures <laughs> that people are learning in the East that came from the West. You know, this is my enemy, my enemy, which is die, die, die. Most people learn everything. You know, somebody said something. Iyinka said that he has noticed that the people that defend Ibi Joshua most are from the East. He said they are Easterners. He said those of us from the West, we are used to people like him. We had Jesu Oyingbo. We are used to it. <laughs> we are used to it. No, really, really, people from the West, they are used to it. Uh, Oshafa came. We are used to him. White garment now our portion. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? We, we, we know, we know all these things. We know. <laughs> he said, but 
When you come to the, they are not used to things like this down here. It's you is a man of God. Is a man of God. Is a man of God. That's what we are looking at. Say, oh, who? Oh, is he better than his father or father? Jesus of Oyibo was there. Don't worry, he will marry three wives. They always go like that. Who won't bet? He will soon have a revelation. Don't worry, people who follow him will still follow him. They will continue to follow him. So we're just thinking about it. I said, why? I, I said, and then, okay, what's the other one we're laughing about? He said, Minka <laughs> said, Osa, you know, our Babala over here, Osa. He said, look, Osa, can't sell two bottles in the Badon. <laughs> we'll go by. Every Badon man now, Osa. <laughs> Every Badon man now, Osa. What are you talking about? What you demand to do? Every grandmother there knows everything the guy knows. In fact, he said more self. So we just okay, say, hi, this kind of culture we just carry come. We don't even carry better thing come. Two nonsense cultures. How to pray against witches. I mean, you know I've told you before. <laughs> you can see the churches that are teaching it. Some of them, they are mama and wish. Seriously. The founder of the church. Maybe the mama and witch. So she has seen a lot of witchcraft. And I come down here. Every power fighting my dad. And people learn it becomes a culture. Something is not working well. Who is responsible? It's a nonsense culture. That culture came from Western Nigeria. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know when he arrived here. No, we carry and come. No, no, really, really. You know, some of the cultures over the country, they came from the West. That's check, checking who is who is doing me. Say Western is look, it's from Western Nigeria. Like Inka was saying, for there everybody in a witch. Some of us have grandmothers that are witches, grand aunties, witches, Yinka's uh, grandmother on the other side now, witch. <laughs> <laughs> so did not listen, listen, did not create a culture. Ah, so you don't say an average person from this now is not looking for why have I not been promoted? It's not checking the ground, you know, checking people in the environment. When did you learn that nonsense from? I'm talking about culture. New culture is what we Christians are supposed to create according to the word of God. This e-culture of checking who's doing me, who's not doing me, we should wipe it out. We true believers will wipe it out. When your mother says, let's carry you to go and find out why things are not moving in your life. Say, mommy, I already know. My heart needs to be aligned with the plan of God for my life. Nobody can stop my progress. If you do that for one generation, all these jobless people who call themselves prophets will disappear the next generation. Nobody will have, they won't have business again. They won't, they won't have business again. You see, people have, people have learned very silly cultures. Their businesses are not doing well. They don't understand how am I managing my business? How am I working in integrity? No. They are looking at their wives with suspicion. I'm telling you. They are looking at their mothers-in-laws. Their mothers-in-law with suspicion. It's a negative culture. You know, it's painful to see how much it has penetrated into the environment. And I'm saying that it's our duty to wipe it with that nonsense. We have a culture of inbreeding. I can only marry from my place. It's a culture of, it's the responsibility of Christians to teach people Christianity. It's our duty. Because Christianity, if I finish what I'm teaching today, all right, from next week I want to start, the thing I wanted to start the year with personally, all right, if the Lord now agrees, we'll go on to it. 
Christianity must always produce a change in behavior. It must always produce a tangible change in behavior. If it doesn't, it's fake. If it doesn't, it's not complete. If it doesn't, it's not being expressed according to God's design. Christianity will, look, it will affect the way our children study. Christianity will affect the way we work. It will affect how diligent or otherwise we are. Christianity must always create a change in behavior. Now, what I mean in behavior now is not just amongst the Christian now, it will start with them, amongst the Christians, but amongst the people around them. Certain things will now become wrong. Do you get my point? If people will even know when it became wrong. That's what Jesus means when he says we are the light of the world. Until we get to that point, listen, the things he promised, remember we said this before, quickly open to the book of Genesis chapter 8, and just like us reading it. What, what, um, what God said concerning Abraham. So the things that they prophesied, men like Pat Elton, the things that men like that prophesied will be ineffective unless these things come to pass. Look at it. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now remember, he will become what? He become what? Uh, you've not reached there. If, Genesis chapter 18. Even if you are not there, you heard me read it now, didn't you? It says, since Abraham will become a great and mighty nation. It's not Abraham himself that God is talking about, but what he will become. When a man is a great and mighty nation, it's not him. It is his, his descendants we are talking about. For that reason, we can understand the next line. When it says, in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That is, I'm going to bring out something out of his descendants that will affect the environment around them. He said, but what I want to do will not come to pass unless something is fulfilled. Verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the will of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. That is, God spoke some things about Abraham. But his descendants must learn righteousness and justice. It is only when they have learned and are practicing righteousness and justice that the promise of God that he spoke concerning Abraham will come to pass. What I'm saying is this. Except the Christianity that we are practicing creates a cultural change around us. What God has planned for the nation will not happen. I don't know why you are getting my point here. The Christianity we are practicing must create a change of culture. It must. There must be a culture change. And that culture change, it doesn't come about by us getting up saying that, I want to change the culture. I want to change the culture. I want to change the culture. No. It, gets up, it happens by us getting up and saying, my personal culture must change. My personal culture must change. I must not align myself with the culture around me. I must create a new culture. 
in my life different from that which is around. And listen to me, people will eventually copy your new culture. Because whatever is from above is above all. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Let me give you a simple example. Many years ago, I learned a simple thing, as simple as it is more blessed to give than to receive. Very, very simple, right? So, I created a new culture, and I noticed that almost everybody around me has learned it. If you buy a new car, people, what's the normal Nigerian culture? Come and wash it. What does it mean, come and worship? You will declare for us. You buy drinks. You that bought the car. You will spend more money to entertain us. We wicked people. We that are not feeling sorry for your expenditure. We that don't want you to buy a car. One day, this was when I was in university. I said, it is more blessed to give. I started a new culture. Do you know it has caught on all around me? You buy a car. Say, oh, you have bought a car. We'll pray for it. They will take an offering right there and hand over to you. Say, please go and buy four. That Look, ask people who know me, well, that's our culture. That is our culture. That's our culture. If I come, you are building a house. Ah, oh boy, you are building a house. Oh. Now I beg, how much is one bag of cement? Just buy 10 on my account. I don't have to roof it for you. <laughs> but at least, please, if, if all your friends give you 10 bags of cement each, more people will build houses. I just, it's just a simple thing. I just realized the Bible says this what? More blessed to give. So it doesn't come from my mouth. You achieve something. I say, come and wash it. Those days when I was in Lagos, when I was doing my residency, I'll just enter the, 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 the residence lounge. I still remember that day. One of our big noise, noise makers in Nigeria now. You know, it's into political circles professionally anyway. I remember the day he passed his final exams. I walked in there and said, ah, Dr. X, I heard you passed. I just told the guy seven. A plate of pandediam and a bottle of malt for him on my account. Why? He just passed an exam. You know, if we all did that, more people will pass. <laughs> now, we're all afraid to pass because when we pass, <laughs> it's going to cost us money. So the soul refuses to pass. Until all the friends have traveled. I just walked. I said, ah, I, we're not close friends. Though. We're not close. But he, I really was excited. I shook his hand. It was a little bit my senior. I said, my guy, you don't try. I just told the guy seven. They played the pandediam and a bottle of malt for him. I walked over there. I paid. I said, oh, God, that is my celebration for your success. It's more blessed to give. No people say that. Oh, boy, I hear you are past. When are we coming? You want to kill the man. Are you getting my point? We have some of those cultures that are natural. I mean, that they've been with us for some time. We do that with weddings, with funerals. All right? And it's a good culture. We must not lose it. There's one I got to, and I found in Enugu. It's very evil. I want to kill it today. It's only in Enugu I saw it. I found that it happens in the East. No, I saw it first in Lagos by people that came from the East. It's a very bad culture. I'll tell you the culture in a moment. Tell your neighbor, it's a bad culture. <laughs> in the West, all right? Now, it's still part is more blessed to give. If a man is wedding, and he, you know, he has a best man, the best man buys his own suit. In fact, you even contribute money to buy the groom's own. 
Yes, it's expected. You see that bridal train? If you go to Lagos, see bridal train, and you check their name, their Western names, each of those children, their parents paid. My cousin, <laughs> I remember when I was a little boy, I, I was a page. In fact, one day when I went to start work as a doctor in Adekit, one woman looked at me. We talked, they said he knows me. Ah. He went home and brought the picture of when my cousin was wedded. He showed everybody else, with, look at him there. Look at him there. <laughs> she was one of the big women, you know, with the bride. And I was one little page, you know, boy there. <laughs> so you're not a doctor, you know that kind of thing. But I remember very well my parents paying for my clothes. But I got to Enugu. A man will buy suit and buy for his best man. Your best man is not your best man, he's a wicked soul. How can he be your best man? You are buying his suit. Is he, what kind of rubbish is that? Yeah, some will even buy his shoe. Listen, I don't want the best man. You're, look, listen, I can still marry without you. Go. You're increasing my expenses. And you say you are my friend. <laughs> Please stop that. I, I, I think it's bad. I think it's bad. Look, the man has to marry. We should be doing what we can to reduce his load. This suit is my own. When I got married, ah, in fact, thank God my friend didn't even go near there. My best man, when I, when I got married, look, he's an Abia man. Time for wedding. We work out, go to the, nah, where your money? We, we calculated it. He brought his portion, I brought my portion. We paid. No. When I, I did best man for my friends too. How much is the suit? You go count your money, give them. It's an honor to be your friend's best man. I go to Enugu. I saw people buying suits for their best men. I said, which kind of wickedness is this one? You join bridal train. The bride and groom. We make... These are witches and wizards. These are not... They, they, they have no business in your bridal train. They're not wishing you well. I even hear that they will be making hair. I've also... That culture has ended. Be kind to the bride and groom. They are suffering the way things are. You want to now go to church and go and sow seed for husband and for wife? How will you get when you've done wickedness to other people's lives? I mean, you are going to leave there. It's your cloth. You are going to wear it. Why can't you just buy your own cloth? And use it to help your friend, your relative. I beg you, I don't understand that culture. And it's, listen, nobody should tell you it's evil culture. It's not. It's modern, wicked culture. Because there was no brother train. When Okonkwo married the... Um, <laughs> when Nofia married the wife of Okonkwo, there was no brother train. <laughs> so these are modern trends. I don't know where they began from. That's why boys are afraid to marry. In the fear, I say, why well, never marry so well. I know I have money for only one suit. I'm saving money for this. <laughs> for the second suit. <laughs> no, please be a believer. It's more blessed to give. If your friend says, please, you'll be my best man. Feel good. Say, no, be a suit one way. Go and buy your own suit. Because after that, it's yours. You should be on my train. 
buy your own dress. After that, it's yours. Then we will see more brighter trains in town. When we know that we're not going to die when we have train. That's a, that's a culture I, I, I've been deputized by God to kill today. And I think we have succeeded. Amen. You know, see me, I know they talk my own easy. I did add cause join. <laughs> if anybody is so brother clothes for you, brother train clothes, and you have money and you collect them, a thief will steal it in Jesus' name. It will tear on the day of the wedding. <laughs> No, pastors need to preach. No, we should be adding this much more other ones to scare people into obedience. It's more blessed to what? Give. To give. give. Look, the giving culture is a wonderful culture. We should imbibe it. The giving culture is a wonderful culture. Anytime something is going on around you, look for how... You know, anytime I'm announcing somebody's wedding, somebody is burying somebody... I always say, please, no, I always add it, please greet the person. And one thing I tell people that it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It's a culture I'm just trying to get us to learn because one day you are going to be rich. Now you don't have much money. Oh, say, oh boy, I hear say you they do burial for your grandfather, whatever it is. 500 naira is what I have. Just put an envelope. You are creating a culture. You know, let me just listen. I, I dislike people who come making, I, I hate promises. Oh. If you have any plans for me personally or Kingdom World, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. You know why? Nine, no. Ten out of the ten promises I've had in my life have not been kept. Okay, let me not say ten. Let me say nine and a half out of ten promises people have given me in life have not been kept. They keep telling you that, ah, when I make money, sir, you will see what I will do. They never do anything. Those who want to do things, they just do them. They don't, they don't talk to you about it. So a man gives you 1,000 naira to preach the gospel today. One day it comes, it is 50. You, you don't, the plan is inside his heart. Then one day God opens the door for him. He says, ah, now I can preach the gospel. I can preach the gospel with money. He takes five million naira and shares it out for the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't discuss with anybody. But those who come tell him that ah, the plan I have for this ministry, one day, one day, I'm going to give five hundred million naira. You have never seen his five naira. You know, you've never seen a hundred naira. He has never gathered his friends and bought them coke because he's happy. He's just waiting for one day he will he will hit jackpot. He's been playing American Million this thing, collecting his, removing his money. He has invested in Bitcoin. His bitcoins are turned to bits now. <laughs> you see, they're always, always, always having ideas. I, if you say I dislike people with ideas, just be, you're just having unnecessary. <laughs> but listen, just create a giving culture. You don't need all these ideas. Just create a giving, giving culture. My friend is wedding. And you don't have to be rich. You are washing cars at the, you know, at the filling station there. So my friend's wedding, today's car washing is for him. Wash car, whatever you get there. You get there, say, oh boy, congrats. Put 2000 in an envelope and give to him. 
It's a culture. That's what I'm going to emphasize. You are creating a giving culture. Stop, stop, making, stop making plans of when you, 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 when you are rich. You will, now, you, will now, you will tie all the roads you know, in the whole of Nigeria, then you will put a canopy over us like a redeem camp. You know? <laughs> Listen, we have to teach called, no, I'm serious. And it's, we teach the environment, the, the, the culture of godliness, as we change ourselves into the culture of godliness. The Bible says it's more blessed to give. Create a giving culture in your life. When you earn money, you know the truth about money. The first thing God expects you to do with money is giving. Not spending, not saving. People give, after they've spent, they've saved, they give from the rest. That is, that's satanic, that's worldly. The, the, the culture of God is giving first, spending next, saving if he remains. If not remain, that means sufficient until the day is the amount of money the Lord sent. We live on like that. The culture of God, no, we don't put spending first, saving next, and then giving last. Every time you see Paul encourage people to work, he told them, he said, you saw how I have worked and met my needs with my own hands. He said, I was trying to show you people how to work and help those who are in need. That's all. You know, I know that Paul was careful to show them that, that I did that so that you know how to give to those who are in need. He said, let him that steals, steal no more. But rather, let him labor so that you have something to share. It's also interesting that Paul, when he was going to write in that second Corinthians, in chapter 9 and chapters 8 and 9, he explained that God ministers seed to the sower and bread for food. He puts seed to the sower in front. We must make giving a culture. Not just in church. If you see, I've not said anything. In fact, I only give examples about, you know, but in church. Uh, sorry, about life. It's not just about in church. It's about every part of life. Many of you may not have heard me say it before. Let me just say it. If your father has not eaten your money and you have been working for up to two months, you're in trouble. How many months did I say? Two months. Second month has gone. Your father never chopped your money. Apostle, after service, deliver the people. You need deliverance. See him at the end of service. You, two months. The first month, what did you do with your money? <laughs> but it's good. That first fruit is good. It's how you share the fruit that's the issue. <laughs> if you carry everything to the church and say it's first fruit, listen, that's just the way you like it. It's not good. It's the way you like it. I'm not saying it's bad, though. Did I say it's bad? Did I say it's bad? What did I say? The way you like it. It's the way you like it. It's not bad, but it's not the commandment of God. Is the way you choose to do it. Do you understand that? What you should have done, if you have my own understanding of first fruits, you've labored, I mean, people have labored over you, you've graduated from school. Unless you are married now, if you, I mean, I'm a, I'm a woman now, and even if you're married as a woman, you'll have talked to your husband so that you tell, look at the people I need to honor. You should honor those people. Not with first salary, first six months. That's my own preaching of first fruit. Well, not only the six months as the issue, it's the fact that there are plenty. So you're always doing it. Those are your uncles that any time they are passing, 
You will stop them. Oh, I'm, go- I'm going back to school tomorrow. You know those kind of people. Then they will say to you. Those kind of people, you go and greet them too. You, just, uh, you don't have to tell them that I collected salary. You don't. It's you that knows. They don't have to know. Because when you are leaving, you've left on a back leaky bag of rice. You left it behind. You left it with uh, yam from Boko. You left it behind. You are the one that knows what you are doing. They are gonna the day, sir, of taking from you. It's not the day by which in which I will be the one giving to you. And you are saying to God, this day will never come to an end. Those aunties that when your mother is coming to school, they, they will remember to put smoked fish. Gary. All those is a rapid give to your mother to give to you. You just go and greet them casually, Christmas time. You've bought the most expensive roll of lace they have ever seen. You know them. You know they are not rich. That's why all they could give you was smoked fish and gary. So you wanted to do something that would excite them. The kind of lace they've been admiring, not knowing they will ever wear in life. You buy it. It's not, it's not women. It's not five years. The past five years. Okay, six, Abby. Okay, six years. Thank you. Okay, make it seven so that there will be no confusion. <laughs> They can sew up and down. <laughs> yes, you drop it. And then she will pray for, she will pray for you again. Don't forget. Don't, of course, I've not talked about your parents at all. Don't forget the campus fellowship you attended. When you failed the exam, you cried for them. They were the ones that prayed with you. When you had problems, they remembered to help you. Yeah, those who helped you, they've gone now. But the fellowship remains. And you go back there for goodness sake and look at their drum set. You know, students have this habit of beating torn drums. It's not because they like it torn. It's torn. They can't replace it. And why did God give you, give you a, a huge salary to buy a car? You don't need a car yet. Your days of driving cars is two years away. Because there are too many people to settle. And they don't know what you're doing. You just have a giving culture. It's not everything you give that is just easily convenient for you. You go to that campus, say, look, this is a new keyboard. You guys can have it. But you know that you are going to pay for this keyboard for three months. But they don't know that. They don't need to know. They'll just be rejoicing. Our senior friend came. Hey, hallelujah, hallelujah. They only see the keyboard. Wow. They'll be speaking all kinds of tongues. They don't know that for the next three months, you're not eating three square meals. That, look, is that core? See, we need to teach this culture, this giving culture. But, but we pastors have messed, we, we have done a lot of mess in that area. People always bring, you know, to the apostles' feet. That's the only one they now know. Stingy people outside, generous in church. And God is not collecting any of their offerings. And their hearts are not correct. They're not good people. They're just trying to bribe God and get something out of him. What am I going to emphasize? It is, we are the ones that will teach the new culture into the environment. How we treat our wives. Look, it's a culture we will teach. Your mother will call that she needs money. You just say, all right, I will talk to my wife. And initially, she's surprised. But you're doing it deliberately. And your wife will call her and say, ah, mommy, my husband said this, so and so and so. Okay, how much is that this money? You are telling her, discuss with her. Don't worry, it's not a problem. She knows every cowboy I have. It's our money. And tell your wife, you, from your account, transfer the money to her. Do that two or three times, your mother has gotten the point. She has gotten the point. 
You've taught him a new culture that the two indeed are one. It's just a new culture. You just explain to them that, listen, I'm not running married the way the rest of you ran it to. They'll see that you're not comfortable until your wife is comfortable. Then they are not coming to harass you about it. If you read my book, um, if you like say yes, I discuss it then. I don't believe in ill law trouble. Ill laws can't give, ill laws don't give trouble. I hope you know that. All this one in law trouble is a lie. What did I say? No, what did I say? Yeah, saying the lies if you don't believe me. It's a lie. I have not seen any in law trouble in my life. I never seen. I don't mean my personal life, oh. I mean anywhere. Nobody's in laws I've seen have ever given trouble. In laws don't know how to give trouble. It's the husbands that give trouble, it's the wives that give trouble. They just pretend as the in laws. Yeah, it's just pretense. You see, the in-laws are disturbing. Anytime I hear a man tells me, maybe a woman tells me, my in-laws are disturbing me, my man, your husband is the problem. Your in-laws only know what your husband, what the, you know. Yes, that's it. I don't think my mother or any of my siblings, I don't think any one of them has ever heard a complaint about my wife from my mouth. Apart from general things that, oh, this woman is not ready on time. You know those kind of things. And women like it. How can I be ready on time? How would, how would I know I'm a woman? I can't be ready on time, you know. I do funny things like that. Sometimes they just know they are doing this thing deliberately. Apart from trivial things like that, but complain? My wife did. Where would they? Look, if I wanted to complain, I have brethren to complain to. If you ask my father-in-law or my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law especially believes that my wife and I, there's something we ate together, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure she has that feeling. Because a lot of times, maybe she calls, ah, Bangi, how are you? I'm fine. We go, you know, we'll talk. Where are you? I'm in Kaduna. Hey, what are you doing in Kaduna? Anyway, where's your wife? I just say, hold on, I hand my wife the phone. The woman, even Kaduna, the two of you. <laughs> Can't one person stay at home? Is it called last weekend when I was in Bonnie? She like she called when, she, when my wife handed me the phone. He said, eh? "So you and your babe, you've left my grandchildren alone in the house." That was the accusation. She has never—I don't think she has ever heard my wife complain to her that there is something that is wrong. And look at me, as black as I am. Is it possible I don't do things that are wrong? <laughs> it's not possible. Black people. They're always doing wrong things. That's why God painted them like that. <laughs> They've never heard it. My parents in law. They've never heard it. But my friends have heard it. One day, my wife, not now that international call is cheap. When it was expensive, she bought credit reporting me to my friend Chooks in America. But her mother won't hear that. Because Chooks is our friend. Chooks loves the marriage more than she loves her or me independently. But parents, they don't have a choice. They'll be attached to their person. They can't help it. So if you want to report to your husband, report to his friends. Not to your mother. Don't grumble to your brothers. That's why I don't believe in in-law troubles. Like I always anything your father-in-law tells you is what your husband wanted to say that he could not say. It's true. Because if my mother tells my wife something she's not supposed to, depending on my mood, one of the things I could tell her is simply, 
You don't call my wife again. And I will never take her to visit you again. And you will not come to my house again. Thank God for wire transfer. I'll wire you double the money I used to wire you before, just to encourage you not to come again. You say, is your mother? You, you go die one day. I say, after you are dead, I have 50 years to live with this girl. You want to now spoil things for me? I don't believe in any love troubles. I believe that it is the husband and the wife that creates troubles that the in-laws manifest. Because if you're a serious man, you shield your wife away from your, your people. If you're a serious woman, you shield your husband away. I'm talking about creating a new culture. When we say we are agents of faith and light, that light is what I'm explaining there. I've not gotten to the main thing I wanted to preach today. I was just trying to review that this light thing got stuck in my, on my tongue. So let, let just dispa- let, let's, let's explain it. And I read this trying to explain, you know, I want to see what happened to your faith. But let's continue talking about this. So how we handle our marriage with creating new culture? Let me tell you something. Eventually, people will realize that what you are doing is the right thing. Eventually, they will realize that you are right, they are wrong. Your brothers, your sisters that follow the normal traditional culture in 15 years. You know, when God wants to show, when the Bible says God will declare his righteousness. When David said, David, when David said God will vindicate me. When God wants to declare his righteousness, sometimes, a lot of times, some people are, are, are casualties. They are Oh God, what I want to say it sounds hard, but that's just the way God is. There are times he will ruin marriages around you to let your light shine. Just to tell everybody around, did you see? He could have given those people mercy, but he withdraw the mercy for their misbehavior. He withdraw the mercy. So next time, listen to me. There's something God does when it comes to his children. He says, hear ye him. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Yes, there's a hear ye him that goes to the life of a believer. God expects people to listen to you. God expects people to listen to you. And when they argue against divine counsel, they bring the curse upon their own homes. That's what I tell people a lot of times. I say, don't touch that scripture. You know, I said that kind of thing. Because when you argue against divine counsel, God will just have to show that divine counsel is right. While you are showing people the new culture of God, suddenly, the Bible says something that in the days of ignorance, it was Paul that was talking, that God winked at some things that they just overlooked. He said, but now he's commanding everyone to do what? To repent, all right? Many things that people have gone, you know, have escaped with. Wrong practices, but they've, it's okay. God just looked over it. When he now brings light through one of his children, through a couple, into a village, into an, a, a community, into an environment, God said, listen, I have went over those things before now, but now light has come. And I'm now putting a commandment upon the lives of my children. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Are you getting my point? This is my beloved family. This is my beloved couple. Hear ye them. And those that don't listen, suddenly the message that God left over them is being withdrawn. Then their home starts breaking down. They will not come to the one that is speaking divine counsel to come and hear. He said, let us go to the mountain of God that I might do what? Teach us his ways. He said, the law will come out of where? Zion. That is, it is the people of God we are calling Zion here. They are the ones that we teach the counsel of God to people. That's why listen to me. If God is going to make you a light like that, you have, that light must shine in your own heart. You can't afford to run your marriage, your home, your business, the way other people run it. 
the way that they said is a cultural way. The way that they say is normal. The way, they, the way that they say it's supposed to be. You can't. God said, no, you can't run that. You are going to run it differently. Because I need people that will stand as landmarks. So that the culture around can change. So that I can bring a blessing upon the land. So I can bring the promise that I have given. I can bring the fulfillment to pass. When the people have gotten a new culture. People will see the way we do our businesses. They will see that, look, you make an agreement with Christians, they don't change their minds. People will see that money is not, look, they will write business books because of us. Peter Daniels taught his country that morality is good business. He will sit on read, you know, this culture that uh, money is what's most important. No, the man explained that morality is good business. And he will sit down, and he's teaching that business, businesses advance better when the moral standards are high. Look, we will teach a culture of excellence to people. Managing like that would never come from the mouth of a Christian workman. Managing like that. We just say no. The Bible says, add to your faith, moral excellence. He said, God has called us to show forth his excellences. We even teach the culture around us excellence. We teach, oh, very important. We teach the culture around us faithfulness. So there's a new job. Say, I just took this one last week. Why won't you uh, take this one? Uh, no, 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 no. They depended on me. They expect me to stay a while. The opportunity comes but once, so say, not to the man that is blessed. Yes. So the other one has to wait. Here, I will prove faithful. I need a few months to do that. I can't leave now. You know, God will spare you many troubles if you behave the way I'm talking about. One of our brothers gave me a testimony just as we were living in Oka. Yinka and I were driving there. I said, God, this is what I call the word works. He said, God, a job in a bank. He did training in this town. They sent him his appointment letter in his email. He was working in his school. He's still working there. He said, then he came. He said, was like, ah, he has to resign from the school and go and take his job in this particular bank. He said, but something in him said no. So he said, he walked up here that day, and he picked the book, Don't Quit the Army. He said, sir, I only read the back. He said, I didn't open inside. I just read the back. And he was giving the testimony of what God used him to do amongst young children, secondary school. And he said to himself, will I abandon this? For what? He said, if I leave now, who will take over? He said, listen, that was how he abandoned. <laughs> when he told me, I said, Yinka, this is what I call the word works. Do you understand? A bank gave an appointment letter. I refused to take it. Why? He said, the secondary school where I'm working, I can't leave them now. <laughs> One of our brothers here, <laughs> the man he works for, he works for now. When I met the man, the man told me that. He told me, he said, that's one young man that must work for me. He said, because I don't hear young people talk like that, the way he talks. They met in a particular you know, way. So just talking with the man. He said, the man, he said the young man would make a statement. He was telling me the day I met him. He said he asked himself, who is teaching this young man that young people these days, they don't talk like this, they don't reason like this. They're always jumping up and down. They're unsettled. So we went in the place, and they introduced me. So this is Pastor Banke. He said, oh, you are the Pastor Banke. He shook my hand and pumped it. He said, I've met one of the men you taught. 
And listen, we are the ones that will create a new culture. We are the ones that will teach people that money is not the primary thing in our lives. To so that brother, he told me. So that's how come he, that, he served in that school. They retained him there. Of course, he was applying here and there. Then a bank gave him a job. He, he had gone for the interview. They did some training. Finally, now said, okay. He told, in fact, was it you, Bishop, that said signed for him as Garanto? He had gone to that level. That signed Garanto, signed all of those things. Just one reason why he didn't go. He said, he bought the book, Don't Quit the Army. And I said that well, life is not supposed to be easy. After all, you're a soldier of Christ. He said he realized he was about to depart from his post where God planted him. He has, do you understand my point? By the time he was signing guarantor form, he wasn't applying for the job at that point. The job was already his. He said he looked and said, no, there was just one last if I was supposed to print, sign, and submit, and work starts. Just left it undone. and went back to school to be teaching children. He was giving me a testimony of children that joined cult in primary school, smoking in GSS 1. And these are the people that God was using him to deliver. He will preach to them, they will be saved. He will preach to them, they will be changed. So he said, no, I can't leave. Somebody needs to teach this current world, the culture, that money doesn't drive us up and down. That we understand that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. Yes. You're not here in this life just to pass through life. You are here to cause changes. I like the title. <laughs> the title those coppers gave us. Men who turn the world upside down. I think I'm going to preach for them. I must go. I like that title. Some people must turn the world upside down. This rat race, everybody running up and down. Somebody has to teach other people that that is not how we do things. I think I've spoken enough for today. Let's bow down heads to pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks. And just say, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the liberating word. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the liberating word. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the liberating word. Say, Lord, thank you because you have made me a culture changer. Thank you, Lord, you've made me a culture changer. Thank you, Lord, you've made me a culture changer. In the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Your name be praised in our lives. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. It's well with you in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we depart from here, goodness and mercy will go with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Your strength is renewed like an eagle's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Goodness and mercy will not depart from your home. No play will come near your dwelling place. Amen. Only goodness and mercy will come there. Amen. As you travel, safety is your portion. Amen. This coming week, as you are stepping into it, God will grant you abundant favor. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. doors will open for you. Amen. Certain doors you do not even know where. They didn't even know there was a road there. You didn't know if there was anything there. Yet the Lord will cause a great door to open for you in that place in the name of Jesus. Congratulations, your culture is changing. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Please, if you are coming for the first time, open that magazine to page 11. That's how we share the grace. All right? Let's share the grace in fellowship. One, two, let's go. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out from under the curse into the blessing. All things have passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil. Because we are seated high above with Christ. 
This is our season of multiplication, dominion, and shining forth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now, please bless somebody on your left. Three people on your right or behind you. I bless another person. One more person, please. This is your season of multiplication, dominion, and shining forth. Don't forget yourself. This is my season of multiplication, dominion, and shining forth. In the name of Jesus. All right, cheer up, brethren. God bless you. God bless you.